Christ is risen. risen And it continues. Guess what? He's still risen. It's not one day a week. It's not one day a year. It's not one day in history. He's still risen and reigning to this day. It is so good to see you. For those of you who maybe came and checked us out on Easter and are back today, thank you for coming here. Welcome to Fellowship of Faith. So glad that you're a part of this. Big shout out to Annie Sander today. Thank you for coming in to lead us this morning. Annie is a good friend of one of our elders, Kelly Vance here. She's a vocal director over at Willow Creek and just awesome when churches like this can be in harmony with each other and walking together and just thanks for leading us today. I mean, just a, a blessing to have you here and, and, uh, and leading our team and leading us this morning. Okay, so hey, listen, wise, foolish, wicked, right? Let's jump into it. There are three books in the Bible, three books in the Bible that are called wisdom literature. Here they are. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. All three of these books are concerning themselves with the same fundamental set of questions, which are basically this. What kind of world are we actually living in? And how do we actually live well in that world? And each of these three books takes a very unique perspective on that set of questions. But the one that we're going to be jumping into today is this amazing, cool book called Proverbs. Now, a proverb is really nothing more than like a short, pithy saying that somehow and in some way is connected to wisdom. And the book of Proverbs claims that if you read these and kind of take them to heart, good news, you will gain wisdom too. I want to let the book speak for itself. Listen to how it opens. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. So pretty good stuff, would you agree? Now, Proverbs are obsessed, concerned, and rooted in this, this thing, this word that we call wisdom. Now, the Hebrews have their own language and therefore their own words for these kinds of things. And in Hebrew, they would call it chokmah, for gaining chokmah. And if any of you are ever trying to learn to speak Hebrew, just remember, do a whole lot of this. Anytime. Oh, that's Hebrew. You, you know, I mean, chokmah. Now, most of us, I think when we hear the word wisdom, we somehow and in some way equate it to knowledge. 
But chokmah is more than just knowledge. Let me show you this passage here today. In Exodus, there's this weird little passage that says, the Lord said to Moses, see, I have chosen Bezalel of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the spirit of God. And he filled him with what? With skill? And you see that word? With chokmah and knowledge and all kinds of crafts. Because chokmah isn't just knowing stuff. Chokmah is knowing what to do with it. It's the difference between someone who knows the right technique to shoot a basket and someone who can actually make a basket. Are you with me? Maybe applied knowledge, maybe skill, maybe ability. I'm not really sure the best way to put it here today. But if you can go with me that it isn't something that just lives up here to make you feel good and comfortable with yourself, but something that flows out of here. To live well in this world in relation to God and in relation to other people, this is chokmah. Now, throughout the book of Proverbs, Chokmah is personified as a woman. And the woman is seen as going throughout the world, making herself available to anyone who is willing to listen to her and learn by her. Let me let the book of Proverbs again speak for itself. It says this, right? Wisdom calls aloud in the street. She raises her voice in the public squares. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. In the gateways of the city, she makes her speech. How long will you simple ones love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? If you had responded to my rebuke, she says... I would have poured out my heart to you and made my thoughts known to you. Lady Wisdom is out there because Lady Wisdom can see something that we don't see. She's able to perceive the very mind of God himself, that somehow and in some way she is an extension of God, an attribute of God, an outflowing of who he is and the fiber of his being that organizes and orchestrates this universe in which we live and those who are willing to listen to her, to come to her and heed her chokmah. Oh, they will be in, in tune in tune with God and how he has built this world to operate and how to do life well in relationship to others. And because of that, she says that the foundation of Chokmah is the fear of Yahweh. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge, but fools, fools are the ones who despise Chokmah in discipline because it's about taking a posture of going there is a God and I am not him there is one who knows the fiber of this universe and it is not me there is one who knows the fiber of who I am better 
then I know myself. There is one who calls me to listen to him, to adopt his yoke of right and wrong. One who asks me to submit my view of wisdom, my ideas of good, my ideas of evil, my ideas of what the good life means, and make them subservient to his ideas. Yes, the, the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of chokmah, a reverence, an awe, a humbleness that stands before him and says, God, you know what you're talking about, even when I don't want to admit it. God, you know what you're talking about, even when it doesn't feel right. God, you know what you're talking about, even when it seems to defy every ounce of common sense that I've gleaned in this world. And those who are willing to do that, who are willing to listen to that and choose that way, oh, these are the ones that Proverbs calls the wise, those with chokmah. And God says, I offer this. I offer this freely to you. So what I want to do today is jump into this book and let it speak for itself and and show you how to start thinking about these Proverbs, about these, these sayings and riddles and, and, and utterances of God so that you can have the wisdom that it wants to bring. And I'm going to show you four specifically today, four that I kind of like, four that I've seen people wrestle with, so four that I've seen people miss along the way. And hopefully, by doing this here this morning, we can come deeper into what Lady Wisdom is speaking. And wisdom can be greater in your life as well. So here's the first. This arguably might be my favorite proverb. Certainly a top five. And you're like, why, right? Where there are no oxen. The manger is empty. But from the strength of an ox comes an abundant harvest. Now, who here has oxen? (laughs) Rock on, man. Rock on. (laughs) So what do you do? Doesn't apply to me. Go to verse 2. Where there are no oxen, the manger is empty. But from the strength of an ox comes an abundant harvest. Do you know what I found when people read Proverbs? They get really stuffy with the Bible. But see, when God speaks in his word, God is earthy, God is salty, God is down to earth. God knows how to communicate in ways that if we're not paying attention, we just might miss. So let's jump into this one a little bit more today. (laughs) Because where there is an oxen, there is what? Big, stinking, smelling, heaps of manure. Where there are no oxen, the manger is empty. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. Where there are no oxen, the house is put in order. Where there are no oxen, we don't have to worry about these smelling, stinking, heaping piles of things that they leave behind. 
But where there are no oxen, there is nothing else either, is there? But where there are oxen and what they bring, from that comes an abundant harvest. Do you know what this proverb is saying? The crap is worth it. Think about it. The crap is worth it. Because I tell you, in this life comes a lot of crap. Big, stinking, smelling, heaping piles of crap. And don't people seem to bring a lot of it? Isn't it easier sometimes to entertain in your mind that it would be better just to jettison all this kind of stuff? Why do we got to keep dealing with this? Why do I got to keep putting up with her? Why do I have to keep going through this again and again and again? Wouldn't it be easier? Wouldn't it be better to just clean house, guard the gates, keep the oxen far away, and not put up with all this smelling, stinking kind of thing? You bet it would be, but that's not chokmah because God knows something that the crap is worth it. Do you see what Proverbs has to say to you today? And when we approach the Bible in this very stuffy kind of way, we often miss these very earthy truths that that transcend the ages that God has to say in every day and age. So one thing that I like to do when I come across the chokmah of Proverbs is to simply say, how would this speak with language that we might use today? How might analogies of today for people like me who don't have oxen or mangers or harvests for that matter, how might it speak today? And suddenly wisdom starts to birth. Are you with me? Let me show you another one. The sluggard says... There is a lion outside. I will be murdered in the streets. You know, the other mistake that I've seen people make is that people just kind of get wooden. It says there's a lion outside. I will be murdered in the streets. So therefore, the Bible says it. It must be true. Are you with me? That's not how chokmah works. Sometimes these proverbs, these wisdom, they're speaking like we speak in life today. They're speaking hypothetically. The dude who stays in bed till 11 a.m. every day, coming up with every excuse not to go, oh, I better not go outside today. There's a lion out. What if there's a lion out there? What if I get murdered in the streets? Guys, is there a lion out there? There ain't no lion out there. And guess what? The lions weren't prowling the streets in their days either. All right? It's kind of like if someone said to you today, your 35-year-old son is still living in your basement. He's still unemployed, despite the fact that you're 120K in to his college tuition. You know what I mean? And he comes to you, and you go, hey, are you going to look for a job today? He goes, you know what? I'm so afraid I might get hit by a car if I go outside today. Right? What if there's a drive-by? Oh, no. No, I better stay home today, Mom. Hey, can you make me some cereal? Are, Are you with me? Are you with me? Is it possible that he might get hit by a car that day? You bet it is. Is it possible that there might be a drive-by? You bet there is. But to use it as a foil 
an excuse, a deflection of having to get on with it. Slugs do that kind of thing. Sometimes when you read the wisdom that God is seeking to bring, you got to kind of get inside the mind of what he's actually saying and not read everything in this wooden kind of fashion as though it is a reality of what it's saying. Are you with me? Let me show you a third. Though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. But the wicked are brought down by calamity. Now, if you've been with us the last several weeks, we've actually referenced this one a couple times already. But I need to bring it here alive again today. Though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. Sometimes people forget or just don't know the original scenario, the original context of what's being said We hear the number seven and we think just, well, great, it's a number. But what did the number seven mean to them back then? Well, the number seven meant to them back then what it means to us today. Because guess what? They had fingers and they knew how to count. But just like numbers have symbolic value in our day, so they had symbolic values back then. What if I phrased it this way? Though a righteous man gets knocked down all 15 rounds... He rises again. 15 means 15. But if I say he went 15 rounds the other day, doesn't it mean something a little different? Some idea of going the full distance, going the full measure. Is Proverbs saying if you get knocked down seven times, you're you're in good place, but you get knocked down number eight and like, oh man, I'm sorry, that's just it? No, do you see how you can miss what it has to say? No, though a righteous man is knocked down every single time, he still rises again. Because the righteous man who's connected to God, the righteous man who's seeking God, the righteous man who finds his hope, his being, his purpose, and his strength in God, nothing can keep him down forever. No matter how many rounds life might bring. But if we fail to step inside the shoes of what it meant to them back then, do you see how we can miss what God is trying to say today? Are you with me? Number four. Like, is that any, that's like your parents just like rubbed your nose in this one ever? Train a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not turn from it. Train a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not turn from it. Can I ask you, though, honestly here today? Have you actually found this one to be absolutely true? I've met so many parents who were like, I thought I did. We we killed ourselves 
to love and protect and guide and discipline our children. We killed ourselves trying to nurture them in the love and the knowledge of the Lord. We spent our lives exposing them to God, both formally and intentionally in situations and places like this, but also organically in our own lives and in our own home. And, you know, the fact is, they just come up to, they just don't believe anymore. They just don't care anymore. They just don't follow anymore. It just isn't important to them anymore. In fact, for some of them, they just are so anti and against it. So many people I meet have been crushed by this proverb instead of lifted up. What did I do wrong? Am I deluding myself? Does God's word actually fail? And maybe these are questions that do need to be asked. Maybe, quite bluntly, we do need to examine ourselves to go, have I been doing it wrong? Have I been deceiving myself? Or maybe we're missing a way that Proverbs communicates as well because so many people that I meet... Go to Proverbs looking for absolute promises. But that's not how they work. Read the book. You'll find Proverbs that say opposite things. No, they are not giving promises. They are giving principles. And principles doesn't mean that there's nothing good there. No, principles are things to live by. But principles are something far different than absolute certainty in truth. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he may turn from it. But train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, the odds are he won't turn from it. Are you with me? And do you see how Proverbs speaks? And so, in the Bible, is this book of ancient wisdom Chokmah, that God has for the ages, 30 some odd chapters of insight after insight, saying after saying, aphorism after aphorism, of God trying to communicate how he has built this world and how to live well within it, particularly in relationship to others. Lady Wisdom cries out on the street, adopt this, live by this, live by this, and you will live well in relation to those around you. It's fascinating that as Proverbs unpacks what that looks like, it has a certain cast of characters of who those people happen to be. Characters that they will call the wise, the foolish, and the wicked. The wise are those who seek God's ways. Those who, when they hear God's wisdom, lady wisdom crying out in the street, take it to heart, learn it, seek to live by it, adapt to it. Those who, when they hear it, and it comes into conflict with who they are, listen and accept its rebuke. 
learn from it, and change as a result. Humble themselves to say, I am not the fount of all truth. And seek to follow its ways instead. These are the people that the Bible calls wise. And oh, how God wants you to be wise. And oh, how better of a world this would be if there were more wise people within it. But there's also the fools. The fools are those who hear the word and let it go in one ear and out the other. The fools are those who read one and go, ha, that's awesome, and get on with their day. The fools are those who don't treat it as more precious than gold. Those who, who devote their lives to the pursuit of so many other things, leaving wisdom tucked safely Behind The fools are those who, when wisdom comes into contact with them and conflict with their way of being, respond with denial, respond with anger, respond with defiance, respond with a certain sense of, sense of caginess and stubbornness and how dare you say such things about me. No, the Bible has words for people like that. God has words for people like that. Calls them fools. And fool is the thing you don't want to be in the cast of characters in the Bible. But there's a third. And these are the wicked. The wicked are those who hate it, who despise it. Those who know what's right and defiantly do something their way instead. The wicked are those who seek to usurp it, destroy it, turn it on its head, blaspheme it, and trample it underfoot. No, there are those kinds of people as well. And the book of Proverbs teaches how to live in relation to each of these people in the cast of characters. Because how you live in relation to someone who is wise will be far different than how you live in relation to a fool or a wicked person as well. And I love what Jesus says. You will know them by their fruit. By their fruit, you will recognize him. He says, how do you know if you have a wise, a fool, or a wicked person standing in front of you? How do you know by their fruit you will recognize them? Have they embraced chokmah? And how do they respond to what it says to them? Make no mistake, there are many people in this world who think they are wise, but are actually fools. And some who fear they are fools but are wise instead? How do you live in relation to them? By their fruit, you will recognize them. And so you can start to maybe hear and see that each of us, I think, are wise, foolish, and wicked 
in relation to different aspects of our beings because none of us is a simple caricature, are we? No, I have found that we are utterly mysterious and complex beings. Simultaneously capable of being wise, foolish, and wicked. At the same time, in different aspects of our beings. And so Lady Wisdom invites us into something deeper as well. Not just how to live well in this world in relationship to other people, but how to identify ourselves in this world before God as well. Because as important as it is to know if that person sitting next to you is someone who is wise, a fool, or someone who is wicked, do you know it's just as important or maybe even more? What God calls you. And so Lady Wisdom invites you to come face to face with her words, to take them to heart and to examine yourself. Lord, am I self-deluded? Lord, am I truly not as wise as I think I am? Lord, what is it that you say of me? And hear his invitation to the path of wisdom. Because you never want to be called a fool by God. You never want to be called a fool by God, and you never want to be called something that's even worse. Worse. 